Hey, what's up, y'all? It is Will here at Schedule Fly, and I'm. Uh, I was about to say I'm stoked. That would have been a bad pun. <laughs> I'm excited to have Sean Stokes on the phone today. Uh, I am stoked, man. I, I love this guy, and I've gotten to know him pretty well um, just over the last half a year or so. Got to spend time with him. He's been on the podcast. Uh, just to have huge respect for you, Sean, and the way you think about business, the way you run your business, your story, your philosophies, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this well, gosh thanks well it's uh it's really a pleasure to be talking with you and, and thank you for doing this series i mean like i said i've listened to six or seven of them just in the last couple of days and um it's just really for one there's something there's little nuggets of of, of good advice in each one uh but it, even on top of that it's, it's almost been like therapeutic to just hear other restaurant owners going through what we're all going through and and uh anyway just so thank you guys for for keeping this up it's it's very helpful yeah we're we're happy to do it we're we're thankful that we can do it we're we're very fortunate to have the opportunity and i think that hopefully that you know i'm hopefully there are some actionable items in in these um and i think you mentioned there's been you know been some that you've you've already looked into and even if there's not, I do think the mental health therapeutic part of this is so important because, you know, we've had people say that prior to all this, just, you know, restaurants are, it's a tough business. And most of the time you independent restaurant owners, you kind of have your, your head down, you're focused on day to day. You've got a million things on your plate. It's hard to change anything that you're doing, but sometimes it's good to just hear I'm not the only one that's sitting here going, gosh, this is really challenging sometimes uh, you all are at, at this time where we have no clue how to plan what's going to happen when it's going to happen what the impact's going to be really hope that people are benefiting from just feeling connected through this and i gotta tell you man i am learning so much i've always had a lot of respect all of us here at schedule fly have always had a lot of respect for you and your peers and what you do and it's why we're so proud to serve you uh I would just say, you know, twice that now because you've been hit with something out of your control. You've been forced to close down or, you know, mostly close down. Um, and you're in a situation where there's just the dynamics of, of a restaurant and the the gathering of large groups of people in small spaces. The, the food part of it is just a very unique part of this conversation, a very challenging thing to think through and plan for. So I have so much respect for those of you that are just rolling up your sleeves and whether it's through the political process, through, you know, the, the planning process or all the above, you're just moving forward. That's why we, that's why we call this thing onward. Um, something, Something will come out of this that will make all the folks that make it through this better and stronger and wiser, but that doesn't mean anything right now other than it's just we got to get through each day. And just tremendous respect for you, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing some thoughts on this. Yeah, sure. It's, it's my pleasure, and, and, and I hope that I can be as useful or things that we're doing and, and experiencing uh, can be as useful to other people as uh, every single chef restaurant owner that I've listened to. 
Um, and things are changing so fast, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think that um, staying up to date with these things and, and I'll continue to be listening to them uh, in the weeks to come, just to try and get more nuggets of, of, of good advice and ideas from other folks in other parts of the country. I hope so. It's amazing. I mean, even if you look back, listen back just, you know, two or three weeks back, it's changed significantly since then. Now, yeah, you well, have pretty, pretty dark at the beginning. So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> 100%. There, there are little shoots of light there now, but um, it, it still is. It's very, you know, I've been saying it's like the fog of war and. That's how it seems to feel a lot of days right now. You've got two restaurants. You've got one in Durham, and then you have one that you literally just opened in Carborough. Yeah, Carborough. Carborough, we opened up about three weeks before we were uh, asked to close for takeout only. And you're doing takeout at both locations right now? We are. We've, uh, you know, like a lot of folks that I've heard, uh, we're kind of reinventing our whole business overnight you know building the airplane while flying it mm. yeah that's a good way to put but, it um, yeah uh, so we're doing takeout and um, and we're kind of just throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see what sticks and uh, with the idea that you know we need to keep coming up with ways to stay afloat and keep our team employed and uh, and maybe with the middle, like medium to longer term goal, that some of this stuff might stick for good uh, when we kind of enter the new world. That, you know, you know, six months or a year from now. Um, you know, I don't know much, but I'm pretty sure that the restaurants won't be the same after this. So uh, I don't anticipate that ours will be an exception to that rule. We're, we're gonna we're gonna look, Luna's gonna look different when we come out of this than it did before we entered it. So uh, we're doing takeout. Uh, we're doing family meal deliveries uh, that we offer to folks, uh, like whole rotisserie chickens with two sides and a salad, um, different pulled meat options, things like that. Um, let's see. We're doing, uh, we, we, we were, as you know from a previous podcast, we were pretty reluctant to take on any third-party delivery uh, apps, but we've got, decided to go with a local one here called Takeout Central, um, and so we've kind of entered that foray. But even as we've done that, we're really planning to incorporate our own delivery service in-house uh, that we can use this as an opportunity to kind of beta test it and, and, and work out the kinks as much as we can for when we're you know when we're allowed to open back up again and, and have that be a permanent fixture in the business. Um, trying to think what else well, we're doing. L- let me ask you about the the delivery because we have we've talked about these third party providers in the past. So you've got a local firm. How did they distinguish themselves and compete with these massively funded, scaled up organizations like Grubhub and the others? You know that would be a neat question. Uh, maybe even it would be a kind of cool podcast to interview them and, and just see how they distinguish themselves. I, I can't really say. I mean, their fees are a little bit less than uh, like Uber Eats, for example, um, but not much less. Uh, we just decided that, you know, we want to try and make our food and what we're doing as an essential business accessible uh, to everyone who wants a safe 
option for uh, delicious food. And uh, we didn't have the capacity in-house to do it at the time. So uh, we, we wanted to have someone deliver, be able to deliver the food. Um, and so when it, when it came down to whether or not we wanted to do a, a corporation or a local business, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that <clears throat> that was an option. Now, they... Um, well, let me ask you this. One of the questions uh-huh. I, I don't really understand very well about that part of the business is you've got multiple, I don't know, four or five, however many providers. Is it the consumer that finds you through their portal or do they come to you to order your food and then they, they have to choose whoever you use? I mean, is it a marketing tool for you to have those services available to your customers? So I think there are some advantages to being on one of the bigger platforms because people who have adopted that practice already, they have their preferred, uh, mm. their preferred service, right? So mm-hmm. they've got the Uber Eats app. And so they're going to go on there. And it's almost like they're, go- they're entering a virtual marketplace or a virtual main street of restaurants that they can like, kind of walk through. Like if you imagine like a, like uh, open a table, food, like, like a food court. Yeah. And so, so they're going to, they're saying, Hey, I want to get some takeout. What do I want? If they don't already know what they, what they want. And so they go on there and say, and, and there's the option. So if we were on that platform, that would be one of the answers being there for the people who go on when they don't quite already know what they want. Um, now for people who know I'm craving something from Luna, uh, I'm going to go to Luna's website where we have a, a link on there that says delivery and you, know, you click on it and it takes you to Takeout Central's website where our menu is hosted and you order from them. Um, so I guess it depends on how much of your clientele is loyal enough that you're getting more traffic to you because they're craving you or if you're getting a lot of traffic from people who... Um, might not know what they want to eat when they decided to put up that app. Mm, I don't yeah. know. I'm not really sure. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But yeah. Oh, I just, it's something I just, I've, I've always been curious about that. I mean, like, I know that that's one of the arguments that Open Table would make is, you know, you're going to get more people that are going to find you that wouldn't have otherwise. But I was curious how they position themselves. Now, the delivery process, when they deliver, are they because of the circumstances, I know that this is not how it would have been in the past, but I mean, are they still, do they ring the doorbell? Do they hand over the food? Do they leave it on the doorstep and text the person? What's the process, the end result of the delivery? As far as I know, and and this is how we do our family meal deliveries. Those we can schedule in advance and then we can know uh, to have someone scheduled to do those deliveries. Um, But we're having our drivers you know, they're sanitizing their cars before and after each delivery, fresh gloves on in, the, in and out of the car, masks, and uh, and just drop it on the doorstep and leave it. And, so, and the customer knows that there's a window of time that that, that food's going to be left there. So they, they know to be aware to keep the lookout for the driver, and they know that we're not going to knock on the door or ring the doorbell or anything. We just leave it on the front doorstep. Um, I, I don't know, but I have to imagine that, Takeout Central is doing something similar. 
Um, just because I think that people are just trying to, as, as best they can, to avoid contact with, uh, with whether it be direct contact or by, like, cross-contamination contact. Yeah. Well, I, it seems that one of the differentiators for a local service or any of those services c- could have been the people that they employ and the way they will interact with the customer because ultimately while they're not your employee they're bringing your food and so if they're able to provide a a different experience or a better experience or whatever the case may be in that short period of time when they interact with the customer then maybe that's a a part of the value but when it's just the execution is just getting the food from a to b as quickly as possible and safely and um then there's no real differentiator, I would think, it's other than just how much does it cost. Uh, so yeah. then ultimately, I've got to think they're going to have issues because if if this does continue and a lot of restaurants begin doing a lot more delivery, I'm going to guess you're going to f- find ways to do it cheaper yourself than to pay somebody else 25 or 30%. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're thinking right now. And, and we think we can not only do it. So right now they're taking like 25%. And uh, and then what we've done to kind of take away a little bit of that blow from our revenue is that we've actually upped the prices on their platform. Mm. So the consumer's pay, paying more for our food. And then they're, they're paying a delivery fee that the company charges them as well. So the way that we look at it, there's 25% that we're losing initially, and then there's an additional 10% that we're losing because we've upped the prices, uh, and then there's the delivery fee. And so we can kind of capture all of that and uh, offer the, the, the customer a little bit lower price. As far as I know, most people that I know up their prices for these delivery apps. So we could offer the food, the food at a lower price, and we could probably do it a lot more efficiently because right now, you know, sometimes we'll wait 20 minutes before. This isn't the best uh, <laughs> best marketing for Takeout Central, but uh, sometimes we'll wait 15, 20 minutes before their driver shows up to grab the meal, and so mm. already it's, it's been sitting there, you know, uh, waiting for 20 minutes before the driver gets. And presumably, they have another 10 minutes in the car en route. Um, so we, we think we can do it uh, for less money. We can, we can serve a, a, a better product. If it hasn't been sitting around, we can do it quicker, and we can capture those 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 gains that right now are going towards the third-party apps. Interesting. Yeah, I bet a lot of other people will figure that. They'll go through that same calculus. Could be interesting. Well, okay, so what do you think about... Let's talk about the PPP. I've been talking to everybody about PPP. Did, did, what's what's your story with that? We applied. I mean, overall, our situation, we, we couldn't really ask to be in a better place given the success that we've had with takeout and curbside, um, our experience with our lenders and our bank. And um, so, yeah, so we applied for the PPP. We've, we've got it. We've implemented it. Uh, uh, you know, we... we when we first, you know, when we first closed down, I laid off about 80, 80% of our staff and it was 
one of the most gut-wrenching things I've, I've had to do mm. ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was a, that week of just complete uncertainty and not, not knowing what's going on. Um, we've managed to hire back then after the first week when we realized, okay, takeout is, is going to work. We hired back probably um, to the point where we were at about 60% staffed. And, um, and you know, the, the front of the house staff was, uh, they were working less shifts doing the takeout stuff, but the gratuity was just so overwhelming. They were making three times the money in one shift as they were making normally in one, in one shift. So awesome. <laughs> they were able to, you know, to, to earn, uh, you know, about the same with working fewer shifts. Um, and then when we got the PPP, uh, you know, we want to be forgiven for the loan, so we're trying to adhere as closely as possible to, you know, that 75% of it that needs to go to payroll costs. So we started hiring up other people just to come in and, like, paint the kitchen, you know, repair, do re- repairs, um, just anything we, we can. Uh, you know, and then another thing that we've done um, – just to generate more work for our staff. We, we, we launched a GoFundMe. My wife's a nurse. She's been a nurse for about 10 years, and uh, and she worked at UNC Hospital up until October of, of last year. Uh, now she works at, well, she, and she's all, she was also working at a, uh, a freestanding birth clinic and women's health center with midwives, and she's, she went from the hospital over there full-time in October. But in any case, we have a close connection with the front line, and so we, we launched a GoFundMe to uh, to provide meals to uh, you know EMTs, COVID testing units, you know you name it, and we matched meal for meal every donation that came in. Um, and so I think to date we've over just like the last two weeks we've given almost 500 meals away. Um, wow! And what that's done. It's it's just it's a, the moment that we had that GoFundMe and like day two I think we had like almost four thousand dollars in it. Good grief! And uh, yeah, I mean it was just amazing. And uh, so boom, I just hired up you know more, even more people, and um, you know it's just we're not making any money on it obviously, but it, it it brings more people back to work and gives them the hours that they that they need. Um, so right now. Yeah, so we have PPP. I also applied for the idle loan, and we received that as well. Um, Who's your bank? So, so <laughs> I I used BBNT. Okay. But uh, but I also worked with BBNT has been incredibly conservative with me over the years. I, I when we were looking to expand to the second location and, and you know buy the real estate, and I, I wanted an SBA five hundred four loan. And their SBA department said, yeah, you know, you haven't been in business long enough. At that point, you know, our first location had been over for four years. Uh, incredibly successful, you know. And uh, so I said, all right, well, I'm going to look around. So I, I got hooked up with this local bank, Fidelity, North Carolina, and uh, James Morton, who is just a freaking rock star. I mean, he got this 504 loan for us in under 60 days. The, and it, just, you said uh, the name of the bank is Fidelity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They, and, okay, good. And, um, and so he, uh, so when we had the opportunity to apply for the PPP, um, he, uh, I applied with him, 
and BB&T at the same time. So I was like, look, I'm hedging my uh, my opportunities here as much as I can to just get it as fast as I can. And he had he had he secured that loan for us in about four days. What's his name? And uh, James Morton. James Morton, awesome. Yeah, he is just. I mean, I can't say enough about him. And and when this is all said and done, I'm and I can get my head above water a little bit more. I'm closing all my accounts at BB&T and and, and open them up with Fidelity. Um, you know, it's just. And, and that's a, that's a theme that I, I hope that all of us can get out of this is that personal relationships with smaller entities in your local in your local area. You know, you may sacrifice a little bit in cost here and there, or with some efficiencies here and there. But at the end of the day, it, that, those investments and those relationships just pay dividend after dividend after dividend, and. Uh, so yeah, so that was I got the PPP loan probably over two weeks ago now. I still haven't heard anything from BBNT, nothing. Um, and I so and then the, 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 the idle loan that was um, something that I had my eye on before North Carolina was even eligible. Uh, the governor hadn't yet declared a state of emergency yet. He hadn't shut us down yet. But I saw it coming, and so I was calling the SBA to say, "Hey, look." I know there's 50 billion going into this program. When can I apply? And uh, she said, "Your, you know, your state has to declare emergency first and submit a figure. And once they do that, you know, you can you can apply." She's like, "What I suggest you do first, like right now, is just fill out all the documents, fill out all the paperwork, download, it, fill it out." So I did that, and then the moment that we were able to apply, I said. Well, I tried to submit it, but they changed the application at that point, so I had to start over again. But I had a lot of the information and a lot of the data together already from doing that exercise beforehand, and uh, and submitted it like right away. Okay, um, that's the idle loan. The e i e i e i d l e i d l. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and that's the one that you know you should apply anyway because whether you get it or you don't get it, they put ten thousand dollars in your account. It's a grant right out of the bat. Okay, and, that's the uh, one that's a, I mean, that's not a loan, that's a grant. That's a grant. That okay. part of it is a grant. Okay. But if you get the loan, I'm a little unclear on to whether or not you, you, it remains a grant or if it gets folded into the loan. But the loan, I mean, it's, it's just silly. It's 3.75% over 30 years. 30 term. years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's uh, um it's it's a great great opportunity and and I just kind of have it sitting there right now waiting for what the future may bring. Which is, I think, what a lot of people did with, with these loans, with the PPPs as well. Um, and I, 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 I caution restaurants, especially, to um, make sure they have a plan for how to use it properly. Otherwise, those you have to pay back in two years. Those are two-year terms. Uh, oh, for the idle? No, the PPP is two the, years. The PPP. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you don't follow the guidelines? So regardless, so if you follow the guidelines and you use, and use it towards payroll, uh, then it is forgiven. Uh, and it's, it's a sliding scale of how much will be forgiven based on how much you use towards payroll. So um, I just suggest that people kind of get comfortable with whatever they might be um, comfortable paying back in a two-year term. Because that, you know, those payments can be pretty high, and no one really knows what's going to be happening next year. So if you suddenly have a 
you know, a $5,000 monthly loan payment to pay this thing back, uh, you know, I guess you just be ready for that or anticipate that that might be coming down the pike if Mm. you're not using it towards the payroll. Two year, what's the interest rate on this? I think they're 4%. The max is four. Uh, I think six months deferred. Um, Hmm. But this is one of the big problems with that the restaurant industry has with it, and and it's it's totally warranted uh, that restaurants are upset by it, is that you have to start using it towards payroll. The the eight-week window you're going to have to be, that you're going to have to submit to the SBA to get forgiveness begins the moment that the loan opens, right? And so, and we all know that we aren't able to open fully and so a lot of people are asking, like, well, how how do I pay staff? I don't need to hire back yet. You know, can we postpone this, this time that we are being that we need to document when we hire these people back? But the SBA and I guess the way the program was designed was such that they wanted to try and keep as many people off of unemployment and try and take pressure off the unemployment offices and kind of let the business be a pass through for unemployment in a sense. So even if you're, people are just sitting at home, they want you to use that money to pay them what they were getting paid beforehand. That's, as I understand it, that's the way hmm. the, the program is designed. Okay, got it. Um, but we just, did, we just did as much as possible. I mean, I just have, um, we just tried to do as much as we could to try and bring as much staff on as possible so that we can try and meet that, that criteria and not have to pay it back. Perfect time for that, painting, maintenance, uh, you know, all the stuff you mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and, uh, and and doing those things like trying to raise money for donated meals, um, you know, that, it, that, that keeps people busy. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we don't, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the, the full amount forgiven, but we're going to try our best to do as, as much as we can. Yeah, we, some of the tricky parts are with some of our service staff who are, you know, we, there was about a month between the time that we, you know, needed to close and when any funds came through. So that month was a long month for our employees and a lot of them applied for unemployment and some of them started keep receiving it, you know, weeks before we received the PDP loan. Uh, and it wasn't like I could say, hey, like hold off on unemployment because, you know, we think we're going to get this loan. Because if we hadn't, and as I understand it, we're probably in the minority of small independent restaurants that I know of who have gotten it at this point. You are. Um, then they would really be, you know, in, in trouble. But they did get it, and uh, and some of them are making a lot of money. We have a couple that are making like $1,150 a week. So they, they got a raise, a big raise. And, um, and they don't want, you know, they don't want to muck that up by us paying them from this DPP loan. Uh, and that's fine. That's, you know, that's a decision. That everyone's got to make their own decisions during this time as to whatever's the best for them. Uh, so I don't criticize anyone for making any sort of decisions like that. But it does make it challenging for the restaurant to be able to comply with this forgivable loan uh, if some of their service staff is getting paid more than they were ever making to kind of sit and chill at home. It yeah. also makes it difficult for it also makes it difficult for the staff that did want to stick around and keep working, because, you know, imagine the scenario where we have some people saying, 
you know, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to come in, put on the mask, the gloves, we're going to do the takeout thing, and it's not like a real uh, engaging shift. You know, you don't have like customers that you're engaging with. You're just like bagging stuff up and bringing it out to the car and little as little interaction as possible. So it's not what they're accustomed to doing. Um, and then it wouldn't be fair to them for me to pay other people to sit at home that didn't want to come into work and, and pay them maybe even more. So there's a lot of things that are complicated with it. And, and, and it's, it's to be expected. They cobbled this thing together in a matter of, you know, a week or two. Uh, so there's bound to be some, some areas that we, with hindsight, you say, gosh, that was pretty stupid, but we are where we are. Uh, but I guess it's all just to say that if you're a restaurant and you're looking to get this thing, just really think it through and, and, and plan out how you can either be aware that you're going to pay back in two years or plan out a way that you, you won't have to have a plan in place. Well, I got to say, if I, my kids aren't quite old enough to work yet. My daughter's 16. She was actually going to be getting, looking for a summer job. At a restaurant. Uh-huh. But I gotta say, if my kids were in that situation, and even if, you know, they're making more by staying at home through unemployment, uh, I'd, I'd tell them to get their butts back down there and get that job. <laughs> because the problem is, I mean, this is my personal opinion. I just, you know, look, I mean, at the end of the day, y'all might come back with a very, you know, smaller staff and there's not going to be as many restaurant jobs. So you, you, you want to, you know, that, that, and meanwhile, that unemployment's going to run out. Uh, and yeah. you, I would be more inclined to, uh, of course, that's me at 45 saying that, you know, <laughs> I think if me at 22 would have been like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. But um, it is an interesting dynamic. I think I hope people will think through that really clearly and just don't don't be myopic with that, because um, there's not going to be as many jobs out there, not just in restaurants, but just in general, possibly for a while. Maybe so. But, you know, I'd hedge I'd hedge that and uh, be careful with that decision. So. Uh, let's talk about reopening and what that may look like, what we're hearing, you know, here in North Carolina, I know it's different state by state, the timing and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, generally speaking, there's some, there's common threads with reopening and what that may mean. I know that our governor came out yesterday and, or the day before, whatever it was, and said that, you know, we're going to have this phase reopening and when restaurants reopen, they'll be with, you know, with limited capacity, whatever the, it was, you know, vague language, but I, tell me about what you think about that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to think about, right? I mean, so what we're undergoing right now is, is, is unprecedented and I'm not, and, and we've heard that word a lot because it is. And, um, and I don't know what the world is going to look like next week, much less, you know, a month from now, uh, I'm, I'm super optimistic that um, uh, even two weeks from now, we'll be taking a little more sober look at what the world, what what this thing looks like in terms of, you know, the rates of infection. We're learning more every day, and every day that we learn more about the data of this thing, it, it seems, you know, a little bit less dangerous than it first started, you know, two months ago, three months ago, when, you know, the case fatality rate was in the you know, 2.4 to 3.4 range, and now they're estimating it's more like 0.5. Uh, 
uh, you know, the rate of hospitalization, the real as the numbers kind of come in, they, they look more, much, much more promising. So those things, I think, will be improving consumer confidence and um, and uh, yeah, gosh, there are some. I, I have some hope for some antivirals that are under you know, testing right now that can take the teeth out of this thing, reduce the symptoms by half, reduce the duration of it by half. So all these things I think will come together to improve consumer confidence. And I'm bringing that up because, you know, regardless of what the governor says, I mean, it's like we could be in Georgia where they're going to open things up on the 27th, but that doesn't mean people are going to come out to eat. Yeah. So we're kind of relying on two different dynamics. Um, so, you know, have you ever heard, you heard that 21 days, to change a habit, 90 days to change a lifestyle. Yeah, sure. I feel like as a, as a whole society right mm. now, we've, we've already changed the habit, right? Yeah. Where it, and, and people, if they, they might say, like, oh, I haven't changed the habit, but if you think about it, it's even a little bit easier to shelter in place right now than it was mentally uh, a month ago, right? We've kind sure. of adjusted to it mentally. Agreed. And so and then we're now we're halfway or a little bit more than halfway to changing our lifestyle as a society. Mm. And I don't know how many of these things are going to stick. Uh, you know, will becoming wearing masks, will that become a, a norm? I hope not. But, you know, we have to at least entertain the idea that, you know, will, will the handshake be gone forever? Uh, you know, I, I don't, and, and we go on and on with different things like that, but, um, so I think that we're going to need a lot of, something to, to, a lot of things to change people's confidence and, 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 and going out for us to be successful moving forward. And we'd inc- we should encourage all of our leaders to you know, get some testing out there and, and fund research on antivirals and, 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 uh, and start sh- sharing any, as much good news as we have on these fronts as, as bad news. Um, then, but regarding the, the immediate uh, uh, news that like Governor Cooper mentioned and, and other folks, I mean, I think Joe Biden talked about it in his op-ed to the New York Times. Governor Newsom in California mentioned it uh, and his you know thoughts on it reopening California, and that is to let restaurants or let restaurants open, but require that it's with you know some sort of limited capacity, and that tends to look one of a few ways: either you know a six-foot rule in between tables or uh, 50% capacity. Um, and I just, I think my concern about that is that, uh, it's, that would be worse than staying the status quo, staying the course that we're on right now. Um, I think you're going to have a lot of restaurants that would say they're going to just go ahead and open up regardless of the fact that operating at 50% capacity just simply can't be profitable. And, uh, and what that would do is it's going to immediately take away maybe not entirely but it would it would drastically reduce the demand that we have for takeout and curbside and delivery stuff uh, and well at the same, at the same time drastically reduce our ability our supply of seats to provide the customer and generate revenue so it's kind of like a lose-lose uh, I would prefer that you know that elected officials 
kind of keep us, the status quo, keep us doing what we're doing now uh, until they're ready to let us open at 100% capacity. Uh, that's my opinion on that. I, I, you know, I'm sure there's some folks that might disagree, and but I, I think, you know, if you just do the thought experiment and think back before all this happened, think about your restaurant and how it looked when it was full, and then think about how it looked when it was half full, and imagine that that is as full as it's going to get for the next, you know, four to eight weeks after they open it up, and ask if you think you could be profitable under those conditions. I think most people will come away thinking that probably not. So, yeah, I, you know, I, we're, we're working on a letter right now to kind of to give the, to share, get, have other restaurant owners sign if they agree with us, share it with their networks, and then send the bladder uh, up the flagpole or what have you to uh, Governor Cooper and mayors of the major cities in the state. Mm. And uh, and if any if any other restaurants in any other state feel the same uh, about their state's reopening. I'm more than happy to share that document. Um, and it's not my document. Uh, one of my fellow restaurateurs, Elizabeth Turnbull, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. I've only ever read it, but she owns a restaurant right across the street from us called Copa. They do delicious Cuban fare, traditional Cuban fare. And, uh, and she's, in, her, in a previous career, she was a professional letter writer, and she just wrote this epic letter and just structured it really well, clear, concise. And uh, I should probably ask her first before offering it up, but I think that she would be happy to, to let that template go out to other states and other restaurants that felt that they wanted to make the same plea to their elected officials. Well, gosh, one of the things you have to think if – you kind of run through that thought experiment, as you said. All right, so you open at 50% capacity, six feet distance. Okay, so you move your table, so there's six. But first of all, let's be honest. The six feet thing sounds good, and it's easy to consume and absorb mentally, but really? So if somebody's five feet, they're in danger, but six feet, they're okay? I don't think anybody buys that. At least I don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a, it's a heuristic. It's not a, it's, it's so, and not only that, how does that, how does that impact? Okay, so if I take my family of five out, then I know that, and theoretically, even if the six feet thing, like you could just draw a, a line in the air, and if we stayed in this little bubble, you know, then we're okay. Okay, fine. Even if that were true, which is, but, but then what if I go with, you know, three of my buddies? Um, right. And I don't know. I'm assuming they've done a good job. But who, I don't know. And then we all meet there. Hey, we had not had beers in a while. Let's go have beers. Oh, we're fine. We're six feet away from everybody. Well, yeah, but didn't we just potentially, you know, one of us whose kid was, you know, that day was in the store and touched. I, you know, it's just, yeah. That seems that seems a little wild. So I, I feel like I hope that they'll let consumers and businesses make these decisions and not put these sort of random calculations into this stuff. Like if you're at fifty percent capacity, how, how does it, I mean where does that come from? Like it's just a number. It's so I don't know if it's a. I guess there's it's some pretty, po- there's political yeah. 
parts of this, I'm sure they're trying to leverage governors and um, people that make these decisions. But it's it's very odd to me when it's done at the top down versus bottom up because I think consumers and businesses are smart and they make their own decisions. Like my family probably won't go out for a little while. My wife is high risk, so it's not really the not really worth it, right? But I've got plenty of friends yeah. who I'm guaranteed they'll have their families out the day things open. Um, you know, they're they're all healthy, they're young and they're they're like ready to roll. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. It's my two cents. No, and yes, it's it's true. And and, and like we said it's a perfect example. I mean to have four people from four different lives, jobs, apartments, what have you, it, it's okay for them to be at a table together. But two couples, we're gonna make them sit six feet apart. Uh, it's just it's 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 not good for business, and it's not an effective health policy either. <laughs> so let's just not do it. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, gosh, man, it's just been interesting. Like every one of these has. I'm I'm just enjoy talking to yeah. you. I learn. Um, I'm I'm inspired. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, mean, I, I, I don't want to be too negative about how things are going. Like I said, I'm pretty optimistic that things are going to improve, and and and, uh, and probably, I, think, I can't remember who it was. I've listened to so many of these podcasts over the last uh, few days to a week. Uh, but there's been a, a theme across a few of them that, you know, this is a time to try new things. You know, try and reinvent ourselves, and and uh, and and I think that um, you know it makes sense to kind of think about what the the, the restaurant industry is going to look like, not just a month from now, but you know, a year from now or five years from now. But I, I predict that this the, the delivery and takeout thing is going to stick, uh, at least some, and that the average size of restaurants is going to go down in terms of square footage and, and, and uh, but yeah we're doing we're trying like I said all, all sorts of things um, that, uh, that we, we just launched one thing today uh, take and bake empanadas uh, you know we think that there's a lot of parents that are wanting things to do with their kids you know at home and so there's something really easy they can put these empanadas on a tray we send it with egg wash and parchment paper instructions and uh you know so the kids can like paint the the egg wash on the empanadas and bake it in the oven um we included a a science of baking lesson with it as well so lots of parents that are doing homeschooling can uh have something a science class like a practical science class with their kids you know while they're engaging this activity um and who knows maybe things like that will will stick over the long run. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I hope that there's a market for them now. And But I guess it's a way of saying that there's, it's just a time, that it's, it's, a, it's an unprecedented time for restaurants as well that just would have never happened where you have all this time to kind of rethink things and try new things. And uh, So anyway, that's my, my positive note. <laughs> well, I think it's, on right now? I think it's a great note. Look, I mean, you've got kids. I've got. I mean, anything you can do to help engage families with an activity they can do together 
any business that can do that. I, that's a great thing right now. We're all looking forward if we have kids. If you can do it through food, even better. You know, it's they're learning a new skill. We're, we all congregate over food anyway. So, I th- I, man, I think that's fantastic, Sean. And, you know, who knows how this turns out? I, 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 there's some people that say this is going to change everything forever. There's some people that say, yeah, we're, we'll be right back at it by the spring, I mean, by the summer, end of summer. I don't really know. I do know this. It's it's easy, I think, in times like this um, to think things won't ever be the same, and they probably won't be exactly the same. But I'm hopeful that they'll be more so than not. Uh, you know, we, we've been through, I mean, we went through a pandemic, the Spanish flu, and lost millions of people and then you had the roaring 20s right after that and I I think that we're a we need to congregate we need to be around people that's we're social and I think we're gonna we're gonna find ways you know whether it's through technology through medicine through whatever means the one great thing that I have to say that is fascinating to me about this is basically the entire world is working on one problem together at the same time, which is, mm. which is definitely unprecedented. So the best minds in the world are trying to figure these things out and we will, you know, I always bet on, I mean, I bet on America and I bet on humanity ultimately. So yeah, I think that, and that, that w- go ahead. I think, I think you're so right. And I think that it's not just, everyone's working on one thing, but that one thing isn't just one thing, if that makes sense. So like, you know, everyone's working on trying to, yeah, to work towards mitigating this, this pandemic. But even at the the granular level, uh, people are working towards something that's also the same thing. And I'll give an example. Um, we, uh, well, you know, you give lots of examples, right? So my le- James Morton, my lender, the day that the, uh, they closed restaurants for takeout, he called me and he said, "Hey, I just want to reach out. I know you're you're three weeks old. Your restaurant's three weeks old, and and this is happening right now. We're deferring your loan for three months, right out of the gate, and that's what we're doing right now. We're going to see where things look three months from now. At the very least, after that, you got six months interest-only payments. I mean, he just like." It was proactive, and he came right to me and did that, you know. And uh, and then just like last week, maybe two weeks ago, uh, Boer Brothers, uh, they are a heating and air company here. They do heating and air, and they do refrigeration uh, for restaurants. And they wrote an email out to all the restaurants and said, hey, we just want to let you guys know, we are any service calls that you have, you do not have to pay them right now. And we will not bill you until 90 days after you're allowed to reopen. And we will maintain your five most important pieces of equipment with preventive maintenance programs free of charge throughout this. I mean, I was just like, I was tearing up, man, when I was reading it. It was just mm. like that, that sort of thing. And I was, I, I called him up and I said, hey, you've got a customer for life. And probably every single person that received that email will be your customer for life after that. Um, but... It's, it's it's big and it's small, but you're right. It's it's everyone's working together in their own ways, and it's it's uh, it's, it's inspiring. It's just, well, it's give me faith. Man, I love that so much. I'm so uh, I, that. What's the name of the heating and air company? Uh, Boer Brothers. B O E R. B O E R. Boer Brothers. Okay. 
Hats yeah. off to them. Hands off to uh, James Morton and Fidelity Bank. What a heroic effort by both of them. I'm so, particularly only because I, I started out my career in banking. So I, I just, that story to yeah. me is so awesome because you can't, you just can't put a dollar value on that. But that, first of all, that sealed a relationship with you clearly forever, right? As his yeah. customer is their customer. Uh, it's getting told on a podcast right now that many people will listen to and many of them that are not in North Carolina and, and there's no upside for James or fidelity, but it's still an example that people have in their head now. And, uh, and the other thing is I feel like the companies that are operating out of, well, Every decision we make, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with this. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think anything that we make, every decision comes from a place of fear or love. Or you can call it dark, the dark side of the force, the light side of the force, or, you know, good and bad, whatever it is. It's, but I think it's fear or, or love. And, and not necessarily that James or Boer Brothers was operating out of love, but it, it ultimately, if you really peel back the layers of the onion, it is that. It's, it's, a, it's a place of positivity. It's a place of helping. It's a place of that comes from good intentions, uh, thinking of others, putting somebody else, putting on somebody else's shoes, seeing things from your customer's perspective, not your perspective. Those are decisions that just define what a great business is. And those are two great businesses right there for doing that. And they will reap the benefits of that. And it's not why they did it. They did it for the right reasons. But they, the byproduct will be that the business will be successful. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. I, I, I totally admire businesses that operate that way. I can't imagine operating any other way, but so many do, unfortunately, particularly the, the larger institutions where it becomes so hard to do that. And even if the people on the local level, maybe at the large banks, would love to operate that way, their hands are tied and they can't. So thank yeah. goodness for small ins- – in, in marijuana – talked about that too marijuana irani of chaipani there in nashville when we were talking on the podcast a week or two ago and he just talked about how all these years he's always wanted to use local providers and yeah. you know and he's and he's had people on his team justifiably say look you know we're, we're leaving money on the table where we're, we where there's efficiencies and cost savings of doing these things at scale with large and he's always been like eh my gut tells me i just really like i don't mind giving some of those things up and of course it paid off massively through this, through his accountant, through his attorney, through the vendors they have there, just huge, huge payoff uh, for doing this in, in so many ways. So uh, that's, you know, and you mentioned the same thing. And I just think that that's, these are great stories that'll be remembered and that won't change. I mean, you, you'll, you know, you'll be their customer forever because of that. And that's a you know, wonderful yeah. story. Love that. And, 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 it, and in this industry, it's so tempting to take those, those, Small marginal gains in mm. you know reducing your and reducing your costs. You know, uh, I think ADP was approaching us recently to offer us a better price on workers' comp. Now, what the difference was, maybe it was ten percent less than what we're paying now. But I have a personal relationship with my insurance broker, and she handles all of our insurance. And, you know, and just having that relationship, if I. You know, we've applied for a lot of loans recently, and to apply for these PPP loans and idle loans, you needed to have documentation of insurance and different policies and things like that. And 
if I had to go through ADP, I probably would have had to wait on a phone call for, you know, God knows how long to get someone on the phone to request these things. And maybe I would have, it would have taken me a week to, to get it. Who knows? You know, I reached out to Sam. She had an email returned to me in like 15 minutes with yeah. every document that I needed. And, uh, Gosh, can you imagine if 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 I'd gone with ADP, I would have been willing to pay a thousand dollars to fast track those documents to me. Well, yeah, um, that's right. I was going to say the savings that you would have accrued. You know, you would have paid that times two probably. To that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, I, I think I said at the beginning of our conversation that I hope that that's. I think that's going to be a big trend that we see, and that more of us are going to really you know fortify our, our existing relationships with those people and seek out new ones mm. and, and 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 switch from larger to smaller from distant to local um you know we when we first opened we were so busy that some of the initial farmers we tried to work with um they couldn't keep up with our capacity and, and so i was just so busy just trying to get things together i said all right well, we got to go with u.s foods to get our collards and now I'm thinking, well, why was it an either-or decision? You know, I don't need to get either 100% of my collard greens from, you know, Stewart at Bluebird Meadows or 100% from U.S. Foods. I could, I could give, you know, some dedicated share to the smaller farm and, and fortify it with whatever he can't keep up with. You know, I can pull it in from a larger source. Yeah. So even things like that, we've been just totally reassessing our local supply chain again, reaching out to local farmers and saying, hey, you know, we want to get our lettuces from, from you. I'll cut you a check to plant, you know, however many acres you need as a, a security for, you know, a month or two supplies, something like that, just giving them the incentive to, to do it. And, and uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I, I think that that's, that's pretty critical. And I think that consumers are going to want that as well because now yep. more than ever they're they're aware of supply chains and what's happening they're, they're looking at these giant tyson chicken processing facilities that are you know having massive COVID outbreaks and shutting down and beginning to think real real critically about where their food's coming from um so yeah that's what we're doing i think that other people that's a trend that i think other people will, will be focusing on and and i think that just like it you know it's going to continue to pay more and more dividends the more local we keep those relationships. Totally agree. Consumers are definitely considering that, and they're considering where they do business, and clearly people are thinking a lot more about the importance of working with small small local businesses, whether it's restaurants, retail, whatever it may be. So uh, th- there's going to be a lot of things that are coming come out of this that'll be really positive we'll be better we'll be wiser we'll be stronger we'll have made unique adjustments to the business we would have never had time to think through in the past or even try or or you know or try without feeling like maybe we're being crazy you you know like you'll see people probably wearing masks for a a lot now going forward and you're not going to be like there's a crazy guy wearing a mask there. You're just going to go, yeah, well, they just you know, probably, how, you know, like in the past, so if you wore a mask around, you'd be like, why in the world? You know, it was so weak. It yeah. just would seem so odd. Now, you know, you won't think anything of it. So that, that's, you know, that's the same with like a lot of different business practices and things like that. Now we have, it's the opportunity now just go, man, I'm going to try this. And it seemed crazy in the past, but shoot, we'll give it a shot now. Why not? Got nothing to lose. Um, so a lot of creativity and, 
ingenuity and tinkering and unique new things will come from this. It'll be really good, I think. So, um, well, look, man, Sean, I'll let you roll. I, I, I really, really appreciate it. Always so engaging talking to you, and I really appreciate the time, appreciate what you do, the thoughtfulness you put into what you do, both for your, your employees, your business, your community, your peers in the restaurant industry in this state, and what you're trying to do to get you know, the attention of the right folks to really think through what that reopening might look like. And I can't wait to get back there and have another meal with you. It'll mean a lot more, even, you know, it meant a lot last time I got to, but it's going to mean even more next time, my friend. Yeah, man, absolutely. And, uh, definitely thanks again for, for keeping this up. I can't wait to listen to many more restaurant owners and see what they're doing and, and how they're feeling. And, you know, I think that, uh, this is almost like a, uh, a collective Google doc. Yeah. Yeah. Together, but, you know, where everyone's just like putting, like, putting down their ideas and what they're doing and you, you kind of take what you what works for you and uh so yeah so thanks again this is, this is awesome and definitely look forward to seeing you and you haven't checked out the new place yet so you get, you get to come uh-uh. to Carborough and, and check out the new the new location once we're able to open it's it's pretty sweet i will be there my friend i will be there i can promise you that all right well good luck with the move Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to get pulled into packing duty again right here in a minute. So, uh, but look, uh, thanks a lot. And like, you know, as always, you got my cell. If I can do anything, anytime, always happy to help. Oh, last thing I will do me a favor when you have a chance today, you'll see on there on Instagram, you know, we're posting a picture of everybody for their episode. And I'm just asking people to get, take a pandemic selfie, you know, with a mask, without a mask, whatever, whatever, but send me something. If you wouldn't mind, I'll post it up. Uh, when we get your episode posted, I'll stick it up on Instagram. All right, man. I'll send it your way down. All right. See you, man. Take care. Will. All right. Bye.